Welcome to Plastic Model Mojo, a podcast dedicated to scale modeling, as well as the news and events around the hobby, where we hope to be informative and entertaining and help you keep your modeling mojo alive. Welcome back, modelers, to Episode 7 of Plastic Model Mojo. Dave and I have just returned from a fantastic day at the IPMS Roscoe Turner Model Contest and Swap Meet held in Indianapolis, Indiana over this past weekend. So go grab a drink and your tools and cozy up to your workbench and we'll let you know all about that and a whole lot more with Plastic Model Mojo. Good evening, Dave. Good evening, Mike. How are you doing? Are we the only country on the planet that does this daylight savings hogwash? Uh, you know, I do not know. That's a great question. Uh, but boy, I'm telling you what, uh, it, it's enjoyable in the fall, but in spring when we lose an hour like we did last night, it, it's brutal. I, I don't know. I think it's silly. I, I think it should be this time year round. Yes, I agree. And, and I think we're probably eventually moving toward that. But, uh, well, we've compressed it a little bit in the last couple of years, but yeah, uh, exactly. hopefully, hopefully it goes away. Yeah. yeah. Uh, other than, uh, having the day slip away because of the, the time shift, um, <laughs> I'm good. Well, good. Well, good. So, uh, I'm assuming that you have an adult beverage in, in front of you and, uh, you are sipping some modeling fluid. What's your modeling fluid of choice? Well, we can thank Luftraum 72. I went shopping yesterday after no this morning well afternoon because they had to wait for the store to open and i picked up a bottle of basil hayden's oh <laughs> yeah blame it on him yeah well, i'm or not blaming her, it on I don't him. Know. I'm, I'm 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 thanking i'm thanking them for the inspiration because i don't get it often for well, a couple reasons yeah. one, one for it's it's a little more expensive for what i you know it's it's a pretty premium well, bourbon, i don't know what yeah. to say it, it's 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 but it's not it kind of is but it's kind of not but anyway i don't get it off the other reason is the stuff is so smooth that right now i've got a four finger pour Ooh, with no eye, with with no eyes so at the end of this we may have to rename the podcast under the bench <laughs> yeah uh that would do it to me i'll tell a four finger pour no ice of basil hayden and no matter how slowly i sipped it uh it would yeah. eventually put me under there's no question well, I had a good dinner, so I'll be right. But but here's a little trivia. Yeah. Do you know Do you know who Basil Hayden is? Basil Hayden Senior. Uh no. I assumed it was the probably either the brewer or the owner of the brewery. Basil Hayden led the first group of Roman Catholic settlers west of the Appalachian Mountains ah. and founded the first church in what would become the state of Kentucky. Oh, really? Yes, well, I did not. I did not know. As a Catholic, as a good Catholic, I should know that. But uh, yeah. <laughs> and oddly, oddly, it's actually a, a Jim Beam product. Is it? You really? believe that? No. Yeah, well, Beam's, <laughs> Beam, yes, Beam Sun, Beam Suntory. You know, it's Japanese owned, but uh, the Japanese they like their bourbon too. I guess so. They're, they're not really. They, they don't change anything. They, they just own it. I will have to say that. Basil Hayden is completely different from Jim Beam as far as drinking goes. <laughs> well, Jim Beam's the one you 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 
put the plastic flask in your sock and pull your jeans down over it going into the football game, right? Right. Or you mix with Coke. Uh, well, that's what I was going to say. You, you, you buy a Coke, you go to the men's room, you dump half of it out, and then right. you dump the gym beam in there, and then you're good to go till halftime. Yeah, that's UK. But that's what, but, but that's what I'm drinking. Okay. And at 40 proof, it, it's a really, it's a really easy drink. Yeah. Um, uh, I, yeah, it's good. Well, good. I, I'm enjoying it. And what, what are you up to tonight? Well, since I've been informed, uh, reliably informed by our brethren down under that uh, Foster's is not the thing to drink because it's kangaroo piss. Um, I'm afraid my afraid my quest for uh, an Australian beer goes unrequited for the moment. Uh, I may have to go up to Jungle Gyms in Cincinnati because they have beers from all over the world. So I may end up having to go there. But in the meantime, uh, thanks to modeling friend and friend of the show, uh, Jeff Inchhigh Groves uh, at the Roscoe Turner Con, uh, IPMS contest that we're going to talk about later uh, ran into Jeff and Jeff brought me a present. Uh, he knows I like hard ciders and uh, he brought me Recorder Leg Premium Swedish Hard Pear Cider. 4.5% um, alcohol by volume. Uh, it is a really, really good hard cider. Um, you may remember back in 2003 when you and I and our wives went to the IPMS Nationals in Oklahoma City. Uh, that was a I, long time ago. <laughs> I know. You and I ended up every, every day at some point down at this place called Brew Works with uh, 100. Yes, we did. Uh, 105 beers on tap. Yeah. 100 bazillion taps. Yes. Well, one of the things they had and I discovered there was something called Ace Pear Cider out of California and fell in love with it. And uh, this recorder league uh, compares very favorable to fa very favorably to Ace. Uh, smooth. Uh, there's a there's a significant pear taste. Uh, it's a hard cider. As far as the alcohol goes, it's on the high end of a hard cider. Uh, but it's an extremely smooth drink. And uh, so shout out to Jeff Inchai Groves for bringing, again. <laughs> again, for bringing me the uh, modeling fluid of the of the broadcast. Mm. Well, good deal. Yeah, we're both enjoying something fun tonight. That's right. Well, we've had a little listener mail. Since the last episode. Speaking of which, before you get into that, just a reminder to everybody who's listening. If you hear something on the episode, you want to chime in, email us, post on our Facebook page. And don't forget, when you're done listening to this episode, please go in and rate the uh, episode on Apple iTunes or whatever podcasting app you use to listen, because that promotes us up the rating scale. So we'd appreciate that. <laughs> okay. Yes, please. Please do all of what Dave just suggested. That'd be fantastic. Our first listener, our first listener mail is from uh, Nathan Idenmill from sunny San Diego, California. Oh, great place. Uh, yes. Nathan is an armor sci-fi and ship modeler, and he's the webmaster for IPMS San Diego. Oh, that's, I bet that's a thankless job. <laughs> well, yeah, webmaster of any IPMS chapter, <laughs> <a> thankless job. 
<laughs> so, so thank you on behalf of IP Man San Diego, Nathan. Amen. <laughs> um, he chimed in uh, regarding some of our American kit maker discussion last episode, and uh, he informs us that Polar Lights is the current Star Trek licensee, and they have both uh, new kits of their own and the old and some of the old AMT AMT stuff. Hmm. And Mobius is the license holder for Battlestar Galactica. And I know there's the 70s version of that and the reincarnation of that. So I don't know if they do both or one or the other. And then he said, oddly, they also have the Star Trek Beyond. So that's kind of interesting that Polar Lights doesn't have it all. But yeah. Oh, well, they're hmm. probably all individual licenses. And that's how that happened. Yep. Absolutely. Next, we have a Facebook listener. Now, this is a Facebook handle, Aries Styrene. Now, these Facebook handles, when I first see them, I'm, I'm like, "Come on, what's your real name?" But, but then, but you know, you're like a superhero with a mask. But then I remember I grew up during the '70s, during the big CB craze, and I kind of get it. Yep, everybody. My, my dad, my dad was a dentist, and he was Doctor Tooth. <laughs> from the Muppet show, right? Mm-hmm. And my, my mom was Betsy Floss. <laughs> were you, if your father was Dr. Tooth, were, were the, the rest of you the electric mayhem? No, we were all 12 and 8, and we didn't get to touch the CB radio. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. So, Aries Styrene, he, he pointed out that Mobius also does new tool auto kits. And I got on the website, and I don't know how I missed it. It was the first thing, because it started with A <laughs> on their list of <laughs> what, what they uh, what they have. And they got a lot of early 70s and earlier kind of kind of American automobiles, so that was kind of cool. Hmm. And he also, he also made some comments about Ravel, and I wasn't sure about him, to be honest. And as it turns out, Ravel was at, uh, they had a representative at the Roscoe Turner IPMS Invitational. And yep. I asked him, so right from the horse's mouth, yes, there are no current kits being molded by Ravel in the United States at all, period. They are, they are, they are a distributor of material from Germany and incoming material from China. Huh. So there you go. That's thanks. That's thanks, Aries Styrene. You were, you were on top of it and yep. you were correct. I mentioned him before in the uh, modeling fluids segment, but Luftraum72 comes to us from Facebook again. And he he gave us some information on a, a classic airframes kit that was that special hobby is selling now. Um, however, though, it was a resin kit. So the injection mold status of classic airframes is still kind of undetermined. But it makes me wonder, though, if there's a deeper connection between classic airframes in the U S and special hobbies in the Czech Republic. Is that right? Yeah. Czechia, Czechia, okay. I think is what Czechia. we're supposed to call it now. Well, I'll ask some of my friends over there what they call it. And then that's what we'll call it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there, that may be the case. I don't, I, I don't know, but the, the, the classic airframes injection molds, have never resurfaced as a re-release by 
anybody else, which given some of the some of the very desirable uh, items they produced was quite surprising. Well, and I think the 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 resin and the resin and injection mold kind and and actually their packaging actually. Yeah. If if you look at Special Hobby, it's really similar. It is. It is. So 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 I, so I want Yeah, maybe maybe Special Hobby was doing all their stuff for some American uh, capital supplier. You never know. Yep. Somebody knows. <laughs> yeah. If you know, let us know. Please. That's it for listener mail this month. Please send us more folks. I like yep. getting it. I like reading it and uh, you can get on the show for whatever that's worth. Yeah, really? <laughs> that and a buck 50 will get you a <laughs> cup of coffee at Starbucks. Um, a small one. So, yeah. uh, so I assume you have finished three or four models since our episode two weeks ago. So why don't you tell me about those? <laughs> well, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Since last episode, I've been, uh, plunking away at this base for the PT-76. Now, clearly I didn't finish it, but it's kind of it's kind of the same thing as the actual model that's going on it. It's kind of a, a learning process. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm working on this piece of foam and I'm using this uh, Vallejo earth texture acrylic material. And I got to say, I'm, I'm, I'm digging this a lot. Now, what I'm doing for this thing is I've got this piece of foam. It's not attached to the wood yet, and I'm doing everything I can on it before I attach it to the wood. Yeah. And one of one of my concerns was that only putting this material on one surface, that when it dried, it was going to shrink and curl this thing up. That that has not happened. Yeah. Um, I was kind of concerned that it was well first off it takes a long time for this stuff to dry it's kind of like that pre-packaged cake icing in the tubs at the at the supermarket yeah that's that's, that's what it reminds me of yeah with a little but, more but it take, yes but it takes a while to dry and the color is it's got a lot of pigment in it and it's it's very monochromatic so tonight before the episode about two hours ago I mixed up a wash of uh, a dark earth colored pigment and Tamiya X20A, their alcohol-based thinner, and just buttered this thing up with it. And as it's dry, it's still not dry yet, but it's about 85% dry. And I'm liking what it's doing. I'll have to put a picture up. It's, it really changed it a lot because I got to be careful here because there's foam under it, right? So I can't be putting solvent-based stuff on here. (laughs) <laughs> or, or all of a sudden I'm not going to have a base. Right. Well, if something leaks through. Yeah. And, and then the other aspect is when I put the, I'm going to, there's a video on YouTube from Vallejo about using this stuff and it's, they're like beach sand and they've got a bulldozer, little yeah. vignette of a bulldozer clearing the beach obstacles at a, an invasion beach. And they use it to actually, they use it to mount the model on the thing because you can use this as an adhesive as an adhesive. And they go back and they blend the model into the terrain after the initial groundwork is done. And I want to try to do that. So I can't use too much paint on this because if I paint it and get it looking like I want it and then put the model on it and then put more of this material on it, I'm never going to get it to match. Yeah. So I'm trying to use fine techniques that one won't dissolve the styrofoam under it. 
and two, won't we won't require me to mix up a bunch of paint. So I think this uh, this pigment aspect, uh, this pigment approach is is going to be the way to go. So we'll, well keep you posted. My experience, I tried as you know uh, as the experiment for my uh, uh, vignette groundwork. Uh, I did a little one inch by one inch uh, groundwork experiment. And uh, my experiences were very similar to yours. Uh, I used cork as my base uh, that I put the material over. And when it dried, it did not curl the cork or do any, have any ill effect. It is extremely monochromatic and very hard to shift with uh, uh, highlights and shadows. It's really It really takes some work to do that. And... Uh, it would seem to be fairly permeable or fairly uh, resistant to permeation because um, I put all sorts of washes on it and dry brushes and stuff trying to play with it. Nothing penetrated through the, the dry base groundwork material into the cork underlay. So uh, to me, it seems like really good stuff. And I had seen the same video you had seen, uh, the YouTube video. Uh, Vallejo does a bunch of them and they're really good uh, for learning how to use their products. So in addition to the base work, I've primed the Bofors 40 millimeter gun. Oh, wow. So that's, that's moved ahead a little bit. And, and in anticipation of starting the highlight painting on my Zis 2 any tank gun, I've got my wet palette prepped and I'm um, actually painting a fantasy miniature. Where, do, where is that for one of your kids or did you just grab one and no, it's well, yes and no. Um, it's kind of something I've gotten into a little bit, uh, but it is my 13 year old's Dungeons and Dragons character. It's a dwarf named Blairig Stonethrow. <laughs> <laughs> I would make fun of that, but I played Dungeons and Dragons religiously throughout my high school and college years. So it, it's an older figure. Well, it's a, it's a recast, a current casting from a company called Asgard miniatures. That's yeah, I know kind of uh, mid eighties vintage, I think originally, yeah. but anyway, they're fun to paint. It's a cool little figure. It's tiny. Uh, so get to break out the Vallejo and the small brushes and the paint retarder. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Paint retarder is a must. So that is my benchtop status report. What have you been doing besides yard work? <laughs> yeah, I've been doing a lot of yard work uh, because uh, it's starting to get warm here. Uh, uh, right now we're getting highs in the 60s most days, which is a little unusual for early March in, in the bluegrass. But area. damn nice. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> there are no complaints here other than, of course, after any winter, you've got to get your yard back in shape and... Uh, you know, since we've got a pool out back and all, uh, I spent the day le raking leaves and, and trimming trees. So that's cut into a little bit of my modeling time, but I still have managed to uh, move forward on the MiG-17. I've got the fuselage together and got the wings together. And uh, within the next few days, gosh willing, uh, I should have the wings made into the fuselage, which should give me a pretty good clue whether I managed to get enough weight into the thing to avoid it being a tail sitter. Um, 
So that's moving forward at a good pace. I'm enjoying the build. Um, uh, uh, post progress pictures on the on the uh, Facebook page. Uh, I also I told you last episode I got uh, some more Vallejo product from Brian at Scale Reproductions because I was starting the groundwork on the little uh, uh, Norwegian vignette. Um, and uh, that has just started making progress. I've laid out the uh, beginnings of the cork base for uh, that's going to go on top of the plinth that the vignette's going to sit on. Uh, and uh, hopefully we'll make progress on all that sometime in the next uh, week or so. We'll We'll see how things go. But my, my bench top is moving along, although as pointed out by somebody at, uh, at the Roscoe Turner contest, neither one of us have managed to crank out uh, a model a week, uh, which, uh, which looked like we might be able to do uh, both having finished <laughs> the model up in the first week of, of the year. Yes, but, but they haven't either. Yeah, that's true too. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So, so I was just... I was just looking at this this foam for the base. Um, I tell you, right now the way it looks, if if some museum somewhere ever needed a a one to one scale buffalo chip, <laughs> I think I'm the guy. That's kind of what it looks like. <laughs> oh, I'm man. sure I'm sure it'll look a little bit better once there's a little bit of groundwork and a tank or, or a PT seventy six yeah. sitting on it. We've had we ha- we haven't talked. Uh, New releases much since episode five, I don't think. And I, I for for me, there's been a few. What uh, what out there's caught you or your eye, and what out there has uh, caught caught your scorn? Well, as far as on the positive side, um, AZ Models has just released a Mohawk Four, which is the uh, late P thirty six in uh, British markings. Uh, the P-36 it has been attempted over the years in 72nd scale by a number of kit makers, starting way back with the old monogram 72nd scale kit, um, which builds up to a decent little model, don't get me wrong. But nobody has managed to, to really put a spot on P-36. Uh the AZ kit, which uh, the earlier incarnations were released uh, a year or two ago, seems to be pretty darn good, which opens up a lot of uh, opportunities for modelers who wanted to, to build P36s, and a number of countries used them. So, um, so I'm happy to see that out, and hopefully we'll see it on this side of the pond real soon, and, and I'll be able to pick one up. So what uh, what's one that you saw that uh, you're kind of pleased about? Well, there's a couple. Um, Ryefield's Models has announced, and they've put out CAD images, but no sprue shots yet, for a KV-1 Model 42 and a T-3485 from Factory 174. Both of these are full interior kits. Uh, for the KV, I kind of wish it wasn't because you're you're looking through two dime dime sized holes. Yeah. Into the interior. Well, you could open the engine deck, I guess. 
but you know, there's not, there's not a lot to be seen there, but if that floats your boat, it's the first KV interior ever that I know of resin aftermarket otherwise. So I'm sensing a theme to what you like. That's a plus. I'm not sure I like the, well, Russian armor. Yes. Kits with interiors, maybe not so much. Yeah. Uh, Verlin had done an engine kit years ago, but they had the wrong number of cylinders on the engine. You know, it was like a, yeah, V5 or something. So (laughs) instead of a V6 or V8, I don't, I don't know. I can't remember. Can't remember what it is. Um, and you know, this is another T thirty four eighty five. This one's not quite as exciting as the one from uh, Mini Art, but uh, it's another new T thirty four. So now there's T thirty fours everywhere. Uh, the KV I will probably get. The eighty five, I don't know yet. I'm going to get the Mini Art one for sure, but I, I don't know about this one. But anyway, it caught my attention in a positive way. So well, I look forward to more. I look 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 forward to more information on both of these kits. Well, good. Um, I came across uh, uh, looking at, uh, I always go to scale mates and look at new releases. Uh, one of my areas of interest is uh, Japanese World War II aircraft. The, the camouflages are great. They're just fun, fun to do. There's a company called Ushi Model, U-S-H-I. Apparently out of Japan, they are not the same as Ushi, U-S-C-H-I, out of Germany. It's a different company. But they have released three sets of Japanese aerial bombs. And the Japanese had a wide range of unique uh, ordnance when it comes to bombs in World War II, and they've been generally fairly underserved by the kit manufacturers. Um so when I came across these, I was I was thrilled to see them, and then went to look to find them. And the the company that makes them does not sell direct. And the people I checked out had some, but not all. Um, and then uh, a few days later, after I found it, and I mentioned it to Jeff Groves, he emailed me back to tell me that uh, Hobby Link Japan was now showing all three sets in. So I was able to immediately get on Hobby Link Japan and order all three sets. And they are somewhere between Japan and the United States right now. So uh, that was very good news. Those really do fill a hole um, in 72nd scale Japanese aircraft models. So what 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 made you yawn? <laughs> and I'm not picking on this maker. I promise. <laughs> what did Hobby Boss do now? <laughs> no, it's not Hobby Boss. Okay. Ammo by Mig has yet another paint product. Yes. The the, the new shaders, which are basically acrylic filters. Yeah. stop it not mig everybody just just stop we got plenty heck i I saw paint lines at the show this saturday that i I hadn't even heard of yep honest to gosh as we've mentioned in previous episodes something has gone on in paint manufacturing some sort of technological revolution or something that has made 
coming out with your own paint line a whole lot easier. And man, everybody and their brother's doing it now. Well, we've got a lot of competition out there. There's a lot of me too stuff happening, which I, you know, whatever. And you, did you got a, you got a yawner? Yeah, I do. There's a company out of Turkey called PM model and they produced, uh, many, many years ago, about six or eight or 10 kits, almost all in 72nd scale. And these things were not very good. Um, and when they finally disappeared off the market, uh, uh, nobody missed them. Well, they've PM Models has come back. Yes, they've resurfaced under the same name, PM Models, and they put them in pretty new boxes. But as far as I can tell, they are the same awful kits inside. And so, you know, some poor unsuspecting modeler is going to buy one of these these things and they're going to have a bad experience. So I kind of hated to see them come back, but they're back and we'll see what happens. Well, I'll avoid those. Good. Well, uh, since we both went to uh, the uh, Roscoe Turner model show up in Indy, uh, of course, one of the big things about going to a model show is getting to hit the vendors so I'm assuming something broke your wallet up at the show. You bought some stuff. So what broke your wallet? My 13-year-old tag-along. You ever <laughs> fed a 13-year-old boy? <laughs> no, I've fed a 13-year-old girl, but not a 13-year-old boy. Uh, he eats like a draft horse. <laughs> yeah, that's what broke my wallet. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, I did. I bought a few things. So what'd you get? From uh, ICM, I got their 7.62 millimeter or centimeter uh, pack 36R. And the R is for Russian or Russian. And it's a uh, German captured and converted F-22 model 1936 divisional gun. Yeah, that they converted they converted to an anti tank gun ex- exclusively. A, a divisional gun was dual function; it had both direct fire capability and indirect fire capability. So the Germans captured a lot of these in the opening months of uh, the invasion, and they served for the they were the primary armament for the early Martyr series, and they also had a towed version, which is this gun. If you remember, a few months back I sent you a photograph of a German anti-tank gun position that had been overrun by a KV1 yeah from the rear from the rear yeah I remember it and and from the photograph it's clear that they were trying to turn the gun and engage this tank but they just decided running off was probably a better plan uh so the the KV ends up on top of this pack 36 and is and is eventually knocked out in situ on top of the, the the gun emplacement on top of the gun. So the gun's a wreck, the wheels bent and the the split trails all twisted. And I, I've thought about maybe doing this, and I, I didn't want to get the Bronco kit because I thought it might be a little too nice to <laughs> to wreck. And and if there's anything in this kit, I've not really looked it over much yet. That's not up to snuff. I've got a uh, Tamiya 
Martyr Three, the early Tamiya Martyr Three. That's a it's already been scavenged for something, but the gun's still in there. So if I need to replace a few parts or put a better breach or recoil system on it, I can go scavenge that kit further. But I bought that with intent of building uh, a vignette or diorama showing this this scene because I thought it was really interesting. You'll need to post that picture up on our Facebook page if you can find it again. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll really do that. Cool. I'll have to find it. Uh, it's funny you mentioned the F-22 because a manufacturer called Ace uh, just released that gun in 72nd scale in Russian service where it's the dual purpose gun. In addition to that, I also bought a Panard 178 or the AMD 35 armored car. Now it's also an ICM kit, but I've, I found the Tamiya boxing. It's interesting because in North America, I don't know if it's true everywhere, but in North America, it's cheaper to buy the Tamiya boxed kit than the straight ICM offering by up to $10. That's weird. Yeah, it is weird. Um, the Tamiya boxing, it's in a huge box. It's in one of their, you know, their bigger armor kit boxes. So <laughs> there's a lot of empty space in there, but they also throw in the sprues for the, the trailer stowage from their little UE tractor kit. Mm-hmm. Is also in, in this with it to give you a little bit of extra bling to put with this armored car. But, you know, it's a really nice kit. Uh, it's way better than the old Albi kit from the late 80s, that Dragon reboxed. Yeah. And I'll say that I've got a lot of PE for this kit. So there's a, there's a company called V Model in the out of the out of Ukraine that makes three different sets for this vehicle. They make a an ex- exterior set and a turret interior set and a hull interior set. And I've got two of them and I want to get the third one because I've, I've always liked this vehicle. It's a, it's a really nice looking armored car and we'll see if photo etch is my friend. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, we've got, we're going to do a whole episode at some point on photo etch because Mike has opinions and so do I. Yeah. <laughs> they might not jive with Ian. In Australia. Yeah. They might. PE is your friend. But PE is that friend when you're when you you're with the guys and you're going out pub crawling and you're the designated driver. And PE is the friend that gets so drunk you get kicked out of the bar. And then on the way home, he's the friend that's crying in the backseat about his girlfriend. <laughs> and then he throws then, up in your car. And then he throws up. Exactly. Then he throws up in the backseat of your car. So photo etch is that friend. <laughs> That's a pretty apt description as far as I'm concerned. You know, we'll see. I, yeah. I bought a lot, you know, I'm not, I'm not totally adverse to it, but oh boy, I got a lot of PE for this kit. <laughs> and other than those two kits, I bought some, uh, you know, the, uh, the prearranged tufts of static grass. Yes. On the, you know, on a Mylar sheet, it's already been ar- arranged yeah. in, in tufts. I got some of that from last cavalry for the, uh, for the PT base. Yeah. Uh, the stuff I had on hand was a little too late summer, burnt grass, early fall, dried out, looking for what I was wanting to do. So I got some more. Well, good. Did you happen to buy anything 72nd scale? No. Oh, you mean you didn't pick up that thing? Which thing? The the Airfix boat? No, I didn't. I'm uh, going to buy I'm going to. It was too new. I'm going to get okay. an older one. Okay. Now, I'm gonna get you in. The, I'm gonna get you sucked into seventy second scale. So. <laughs> well, what about you? 
Well, you know, what broke your wallet, Dave? Well, you know, a few episodes back, uh, you'll remember I broke Jim Bates' wallet. And we talked about how, you know, you have those modeling friends that every time you're going to order something, you email them and say, hey, is there anything you want from Hannett's or Hobby Link Japan or whatever? And, you know, you end up having them throw something on their order for you and, Eventually, they send you a box full of stuff. And, you know, when you're at a model show, you say, hey, I'm over here. Are you looking for anything? Well, um, I broke my wallet picking up a couple of things for uh, for Mr. Bates to return the favor since he was so kind to me a few episodes ago. I picked up a uh, Academy Typhoon that he was looking for. Um, I picked up a... Uh, Ravel reboxing of the Hasegawa tracker because uh, he had a modeling friend out there who had been looking for one. Um, uh, I also picked up uh, another kit for, for him that I'm going to send him as kind of a surprise. Um, at the show was uh, one of my favorite vendors, uh, John Voitek of uh, UMM USA. And uh, he always has lots of great tools and other stuff. And from him, I picked up uh, a couple more of the JLC saw blades, uh, which if you don't use these, these are absolutely fantastic, very fine-toothed cutting saws. They're great for cutting plastic. Um, and I picked up a his riveter tool in 72nd scale uh, because... Uh, I can foresee myself uh, at some point down the road when I build my second, third, or fourth uh, Airfix MiG-17 doing a rivet job on it. Um, I've I've never done a full rivet job on a model. Um, uh, One of the modelers that I admire a whole lot by the name of Barry Numeric um, started a couple years uh, ago uh, riveting, uh, he builds mostly ME109s and he's been riveting those and he's gotten to the point where he does it almost all the time because he's convinced it really improves the looks of the model and I can't say he's wrong. And so, uh, somewhere down the line, I'm going to rivet a, uh, 72nd scale MiG-17. So I bought the rivet tool. So it wasn't too bad overall. I, I didn't hurt my wallet too bad, but I did pick up a few things that other people were looking for. I picked up one or two things for me and had a great dang time. All right. Well, speaking of that good time, we'll just get into our special segment, which is a little bit of a deeper dive into that show. Yep. Yep. Well, let's start with the namesake, Roscoe Turner. Roscoe Turner. well, Well, let me back up. A lot of IPMS chapters have a namesake in the U.S. I don't know if it's that way elsewhere in the world, but uh, it's a pretty common thing in the U.S. And Roscoe Turner is the namesake for the Indianapolis IPMS chapter. He was an early American aviator. I wouldn't say he was a pioneer because he got into aviation after, just after World War One. I. I believe that's right. Yeah. Uh, b- but he was a barnstormer. He was an air racer. In fact, he was a three-time Thompson Trophy winner in air racing. And on more than one occasion, 
he was in and out of record holding for transcontinental airspeed record. Yep. Uh, what's really interesting about him, I think, is I thought about this a while. Roscoe Turner is a cross between Clark Gable and Dick Dastardly. <laughs> yeah, he does look that. You're right. You're right. Because, you know, he, he, he liked traditional flying gear. He, he Not all the time, but there was a while there he actually waxed his mustache and pulled it out perfectly horizontal in a long, thin line. So he yeah. had the wax mustache. Now, he, he didn't have a dog named Muttley. <laughs> but he did he, he did have a pet lion named Gilmore. Yeah. From the Gilmore Oil Company, who was one of his sponsors in the barnstorming, I think. Maybe the air racing. I can't remember. Yeah. Um really interesting guy, very flamboyant, and through his flamboyance and probably a lot of selfless uh or shameless self promotion, he got in pretty tight with the Hollywood crowd of the, of the day. So, um, this, and in the day, I mean, 1930s. Yeah. So qu- quite a character. Um, I actually have a tie in, believe it or not. Okay. Not personally. Well, a little bit. When I first got into what I would call more serious modeling, I, I'm, I'm actually not from Kentucky. I'm from East Tennessee. So the guys in Australia, the, the guys in Australia really love that. They think I'm a hillbilly from Kentucky. Wow. <laughs> they ought to come to East Tennessee. Yeah. Um, we had an IPMS chapter. We started there in the mid eighties. It's called the Southern Appalachian scale modelers, IPMS chapter. And in 1988, we, it didn't last much past that, but anyway, in 1988, we, we renamed the, well, we didn't rename the chapter. We added that it was the Anson Johnson Memorial Chapter. Anson Johnson was another air racer who won the 1948 Thompson Trophy. And I don't remember exactly how. My memory says that his daughter lived in Johnson City, Tennessee. Now, Johnson, no, no relation. Anson Johnson, Johnson City, Tennessee. That's There's no tie there. But just coincidence. But anyway, I think his daughter lived in the Tri-Cities area of East Tennessee. And Anson Johnson was a frequent visitor there and was good friends with the hobby shop owner who was resident to my hometown. And Anson Johnson was a World War II pilot. Uh, He flew for National Airlines, which is long defunct airline, long merger absorbed airline, and an air racer. And... He flew a really modified P-51 Mustang, and he was the 1948 Thompson Trophy winner, and that 1948 Thompson Trophy was presented to him by Roscoe Turner. Huh. So there you go. There you go. Well, you know, there's somewhere there is actually, I've seen it before, a 32nd or 35th scale figure, I forget who produces it, of Roscoe Turner and his little lion cub. I wish I could remember, I'm sure. (laughs) I'm sure one of the listeners out there knows who, who what, what manufacturer made that that figure and if it's still available. But I actually remember seeing that at one time. Well, I was going to say that lion got big, and when it died, he had it stuffed. Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to do that with any of my pets. Um, kind of like Roy Rogers' horse. Yeah, Trigger. That's right. Uh, well, IPMSND has put on a show for years and years. Uh, 
It's very close to Louisville and Lexington, uh, which makes it a, a, a real easy show to attend. And uh, Chicago and yes, yeah, so Chicago, a lot of other Columbus, Cincinnati, State. Columbus. Right. Yeah. So, so you get a good turnout. They've put on a good show for years, and this year was no exception. Um, it's held in a uh, uh, a school, and uh, they have a very well lit. Uh, room. I think it's the gym is where the models are actually displayed for the contest. And then they have in another very large room, uh, rows and rows and rows of uh, vendors and vendor tables. I'll post a picture on the Facebook page at some point here because I took a few of them. Uh, And uh, it's a good show. You see top quality models from all over the Midwest uh, entered. Uh, it's got a very good mix of autos because of Indianapolis automobiles and auto racing are, are very popular. Uh, armor, aircraft, uh, ships, uh, very vibrant ship ship categories. Uh it's it's a great show. I love attending. It's one of the ones that I try not to miss every year. Well, I, I made some pretty pretty detailed notes since we got back, and I kind of I kind of broke this up into like contest side and vendor side. So on, on the contest side, a few things I noticed, and I'll start with uh, what they did for models coming into the show that did not have bases. The Roscoe Turner chapter provides. I don't know what they are. I think they're gray vinyl laminate floor tiles. Yeah. I think think that's what they are. This is by the way, the first year they either the first or second year they've done this. This is new to them. So what this does is you, you they're they're usually they're stacked at the end of all the display tables. And if your model doesn't have a base, they, they request that you put your model on one of these tiles because it lets them spin and turn the thing without touching it. Yeah. And to rearrange the tables for, for, you know, categories to move models between categories if something's been misplaced or if they need to move stuff over to make room for the adjacent category. It's a great idea. I'm amazed nobody's thought of it before. Well, and I'd made a, I laminated a, a graphic I designed for my PT76 to sit on. And I ended up not using it because they had these tiles and I didn't want to just have all this crap for them to deal with. So, um, yeah, I think it's a really good idea. I, I was really surprised when I saw them. I'd never seen it before and it, it worked out really well. Yeah, it's a great idea. It just, one of the things when when we hold our contest here in Louisville and for quite a number of years, I was the head judge at the contest. Well, one of the things that means is when it comes time to move a, a model because you need to make space or some for some other reason, you know, the head judge gets gets the unenviable task of picking up somebody else's model and moving <laughs> it. And I hated that. I absolutely hated doing that. Um, you know, now now it's gotten and it's another thing that that. Uh, uh, IPMS Indy did, but I saw this, I think, at like Dayton or Columbus a number of years ago first, where they started having people put their mobile phone numbers on their entry form. And 
Cincinnati or, or Columbus or wherever, if they needed to move your model, the first thing that, uh, that they did was they text you and ask you to come and do it. Well, that's and, a good uh, idea. It It is. It's a great idea. Uh, but this goes at one better. I really like this idea. Another thing they, they do or did at this show, I, I've not been to Indy in a long time. Yeah. Uh, and, and we do it at the MMCL show, but they raise the tables with, uh, they put PVC pipe extensions on the table legs and raise them about 18 inches yep. from the normal height. Yep. And it, it gets a lot of the models up closer to eye level and it makes it easier on everybody's back yes. for judging and for f- photography and, and whatnot. Yep. I've, I've liked that. There, there are some people who don't like the raised tables. I really like it. I think it's a, it's a, a, a great idea. Well, where, where did we get that idea? Uh, I can tell you where we got that idea. Uh, if you go to, we, we, our club uh, in its earlier incarnation had a fair number of figure modelers people who were very much into figure modeling and uh, figure modeling contests. And that is, has been common for years in figure modeling. They raise the tables up to chest level so that you can see these figure models up close without having to bend over or lean over. So that's where we got the idea. And then it has spread to, quite a few i've seen it now in quite a few shows now there are some people who don't like it um uh for a number of reasons uh um not least of which is that uh uh, younger attendees may not be able to see the items as well but of course it also has the plus of if there are young kids coming into the contest area you have less chance that they're going to reach over the table and and grab something that they otherwise maybe shouldn't. So there are pluses and minuses. I like it as I've gotten older, man, uh, especially if I'm judging. The ability not to have to bend halfway over and just tear your back up uh, is is fantastic. So I'm all for it. And in, in addition, on the contest side, I, I, I thought there was really good participation across the board in all categories. Yes, very much so. Very much so. I thought there was a surprisingly heavy turnout in uh, of biplanes. Uh, I think that that's at least partly due to the fact that a lot of really good biplane kits have been produced lately. Uh, and Doc addition, showed up from Louisville. Yes, he did. Uh, with, with the invisible man and woman, or the visible man and woman, I should say. Um, and, uh, there's very good participation by the auto modelers up there. And while I don't, I've built one car kit in my life. Um, it's, uh, it's nice to see them and nice to look at them and boy, they do some amazing stuff out there. So, um, I, I, I really enjoyed the variety of stuff that was at the show. Now it's, it's not something a lot of clubs have a choice on, you know, you got to get the venue you get a lot of times, right. but I, I like the separate contest hall and vendor hall and 
th- this middle school where this this show is held is is a colossal place really it's it's really big yeah uh for a middle school but in, in you know in he's a big community so the the venue the venue's super there are a couple of contests I can think of over time where it was like viewing the models inside a dimly lit cave. And that just, <laughs> that, ru- that ruins everybody's fun. Like at the NCO club at uh, Fort Knox. That's, that's one of the ones I was thinking of. The old Columbus up at the uh, Shriners Hall was another one I was thinking of. That was no matter how hard they tried, it was just a giant light sink. It was it was a cave. So it's one of the main reasons Columbus moved their contest from there. So on the vendor side of things, they had it was another gymnasium. Yeah. And it was a double full court basketball gymnasium. So two full courts with no dividers, open floor. It was a really, really huge room. And they had a few no-shows, but not many as far as vendors go. Really, it was packed. I I was really impressed with the number of vendors that were there. And to give a quick rundown of some of the more notable ones, um, Last Cavalry was there, who sells a lot of uh, miniatures and diorama and vignette accessories, uh, a lot of the inspirational books and things like that, a lot of paint. And I was one of their customers. Uh, <laughs> Sabo, Sabo, Sabo Miniatures was there, which is uh, Brett oh, Avance. Wow. Uh, uh, he's partnered in that business. Uh, you know, a lot of nice paints and supplies and miniatures, a lot of high-end miniatures. Lots of Zim brushes. Lots of Zim brushes, yeah. And I talked to him about Zim brushes. We had a nice conversation. That's the first place I learned about him. He's like, do I know you from somewhere? And and I figured it was probably Amps years ago. I was like, yeah, you probably know me from Amps back in the early 2000s. And we got to talking and we, we talked about Zim brushes a lot. And he had a lot of nice stuff. Yes, uh, there was there was a representative, well, yes, from Atlantis, Atlantis Models, who we talked about in our US kit makers segment last last episode. Yeah. Uh, he he was not he was not a principal or a employee. He was he was representing them on behalf of Atlantis, but he was their, uh, their, their builder. Oh, okay. You know, the guy that builds their, right. Their, their, their example uh, kits, their example kits. Yeah. And you know, they, they had a nice flyer. They got it. They've got a kit I'm interested in at, at one point that, uh, Cheyenne kit, th- that Cheyenne at age 56, uh, well, yeah. prototype that never quite went into production, but, uh, yeah. Lost I may be interested. Lost out to the Apache. So there, there was also a rep. There was also a representative there from Ravel, and they had the whole Ravel monogram Renwall banner up. And I mentioned before in the earlier in the listener mail segment the discussion I had with them about uh, what was currently being made. But it was nice to see them there. It, it was nice to see them there promoting their product, even though they weren't making anything in the, in the U.S. anymore. Well, especially at a, at a at an invitational show. I mean, as you 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 get the manufacturers at the nationals, but that's very rare to see them at an invitational one day show. I think they probably come from the Chicago area, so it probably wasn't that far. So, Cult TV man was there, who's been mentioned on uh, I think uh, Scale Model podcast. He he's into a lot of nostalgia and pop culture kits, a lot of the old, well, 
their former Aurora kits, but currently being made by other companies and some new stuff and all kinds of, he had a lot of Bandai Star Wars. If you're into that, that, that kind of stuff, he'd be a, a great place to visit on the web. And I believe he comes down to Wonderfest every year. God, I can't imagine he does not come to Wonderfest. That's <laughs> that's his probably the biggest, yeah. biggest, biggest show of the year. Yeah, da- da- David Doyle was there selling his books. Uh, yeah, you know he's a he's a name that's come up over a lot over the years. But he's, he, I guess, he's doing his own stuff. I don't know if he's self publishing those books or or what. But they they all have kind of the same format and same look to them. Well, you know, he uh, wrote a, he wrote a lot for Squadron Signal. Oh, that's well, it. Yeah, I knew. When, that's right. When, when Squadron Signal went was taken over by their venture capitalist, uh, the uh, lady or the woman who was put in charge of that and trying to sell off parts of it, rehabilitate it. Um, one of the things my understanding is that uh, you know, uh, Morosco helped rearrange to have Warriors purchased back out of Squadron Signal, uh, which I think now is is a property owned by lots of kits or some combination of people. Well, I believe Doyle, in this same type of arrangement, was able to get the publishing rights to all of the books that he had authored for the Squadron Signal folks, and I think that he's now doing those plus new ones under his own uh, casemate or, or uh, I forget the name of the imprint, but he's doing it under his own, his own banner, his own, running his own company, uh, doing those books. And he does a lot of really great books. Um, I picked up a few months ago. Well, I guess about six months ago now uh, he does one on the Grumman um, J2F duck uh, the biplane float plane uh, that is fantastic. And uh, so, yeah, he was there and he had tables and tables and tables of books. You already mentioned these guys or this guy, John Voitek with UMM USA. If, if folks don't know him by name, he's, he's the guy who built the, uh, the B2 and the uh, C-130 that were featured in fine scale modeler in years past, an exquisite modeler, but he sells a lot of Eastern European kits, short runs, and some obscure stuff, and but just all kinds of tools. Yeah, a lot of his own making. Uh, he he yes. come, he comes up with tools and ideas for tools, and and uh, uh, you know we mentioned in an episode uh, back uh, punch and die sets. He has a number of punch and die sets that he's done. Every time I go to a a show where he's there, I know I'm going to end up purchasing something from him because uh, he's just got so much really good stuff. Indiana Honor Flight was there, and they yep. were selling kits to pay for their to help pay for their activities. Um, for folks who don't know, especially those not in the U.S., Honor Flight is a organization, that, and they have local derivatives across the United States, but their primary purpose is to through charitable donations to fly world war II veterans to Washington, DC to see primarily the world war II Memorial. And I'm sure they go and see a lot of other stuff, but um, primarily it's to go see that, that monument Yeah. Uh, for whatever reason, 
the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. is the most recent and newest war memorial on the mall in Washington, D.C. Yep. And it's, it's really unfortunate. I, I don't know how that happened. Bu- bureaucracy in action is probably how that, or inaction is how that happened. But uh, Korea, Vietnam, World War One, all preceded the World War II Memorial on the wall on the mall in Washington, D.C. So Honor Flight has was created to to fly these veterans to world, to uh, Washington to uh, to visit this memorial. Yeah. So what they were doing was selling kits, and the proceeds from these sales were to fund uh, Honor Flights. And you know, unfortunately, they're their numbers are dwindling and there are fewer, fewer honor flights every year, but they're still going because there's still, 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 still quite a few of those guys around, but yeah, I know I picked, go- up, I picked up several kit, several of the kits I picked up were from that table. Uh, and you know, it's kind of nice to, to know that your money's going someplace good. I think they may actually now start taking Korean war veterans as well. Um, uh, uh, I believe that at least on some of the honor flights, they're actually, you know, the Korean War vets are starting to die off too because they're only, you know, basically four or five years younger. A lot of them, a lot of them are the same vets. Absolutely. So after honor flight, the the balance was of the vendors of the show were all the pre-owned stash sellers. You know, hey, yeah, I, I, resemble, am- I resemble that remark. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> but it's it's amazing though how much pre-owned and you know technically outdated kits still sell at these shows. Oh yeah. Well, and and on one hand, that is that's you know if you are just getting into modeling, um, there is something to be said for building the newest and most modern kits because they're much easier to build. The engineering is so much better. The molding technology is so much better. But also by the same token, there's something to be said for as you're going up the learning ladder for taking some of these older kits that you can pick up for, you know, five or $10 as opposed to, you know, a brand new armor kit, which is, you know, 50, 60, sometimes more. Um, and picking these things up and, and trying to make them look your best to do painting experiments on, to learn the building curve, learning curve. And uh, no, I think there, I think there, there's a lot to be said for the kits that are no longer uh, at the bleeding edge of technology, many of which are still fine kits. So, which brings me to the, the final little bullet here on my outline. Um, in all, it was a very enjoyable day, and for me personally, it was it was it was validating. Um, we had several good conversations about the show, Classic Model Mojo. Yeah, and I'll miss I'll I'll mention by first name only. We we actually had a listener, Doug, uh, was kind of local there to the Indianapolis area. Was solicited our opinion on a, a homemade tool he's got, and I won't say a lot about it because ideas get stolen. Yeah. But in general, it, it was a it was a modification to the Tamiya workstand that was was actually pretty pretty good idea. Yeah. So keep going, Doug, and uh, I think you got a good idea there. 
Yeah, that brings up something that I, that I want to mention about model shows. A lot of people, a lot of modelers never go to a model show. A lot of them are, are you know, I don't want to compete or, you know, I'm not interested in competition or my model's not good enough. First of all, the attitude, you're, you, the competition is secondary. I mean, it's just great to see other people's models. We all produce so few models a year in our own right. It's really nice to see large groupings of, of models. But to me, the real value of going to a contest is hanging out with other, other modelers. Um, you spend time, you get to see people that you may interact with online, but rarely ever get to talk to in person. Um, you get to renew old acquaintances, you make new ones. Uh, it's amazing. People come by, especially if you happen to vend, which, which I do just not as a serious business, but frankly, just to have a table and a place to sit during the contest. Um, you get in conversations with people and you, you modelers and you learn stuff, you learn techniques, you, you learn, Oh, you're the guy who built that model that I really liked over in the, in the thing, or, uh, you know, uh, it just, it's the camaraderie. Modeling can be a little bit solitary in many respects, especially if you don't live someplace that's close to a club. Uh, but, Modeling contests are a great place to go and meet other guys and talk about modeling. And there's very little that's better than that. Oh, I agree a hundred percent. So regarding this show, you know, we, we got a few topic suggestions from a uh, inch high guy. Yep. And surprising my PT 76 took a second place in post 45 AFEs without not, a base. Not surprising. It's a very good model. Uh, and by the way, the the one of the things that Indy is known for is uh, uh, very good armor turnout. They every year, year in and year out, they have lots of really good armor modelers show up with their with their latest build. So, uh, yeah, no, uh, Mike's being modest, but uh, his PT looked good and looked very good on the table with the other with the other armor models. Well, well, I was pleased because that model was essentially a paint mule project. Yeah. So th the things I tried on that model, I'd never really done before a lot of them. And it, it turned out something I was really pleased with. And, you know, to be honest, it, it turned out good enough that I was, I, I might have wished I've done a, a few little things different in the construction and detailing because you can always build another one. There are still kits out there. Or something else. I'll build something else. Not another PT seventy six. But yeah, I was I was pleased with that. Um, okay. You know, walking out of the show. Uh, you know, I I set up with Dave at the at the at, we had a, he had a vendor table and I kind of tagged along there a little bit. And I walked out of the show net net negative on kits by ten minus ten. I brought fifteen. I sold twelve and I bought two. So I was negative ten net on on kits. I was cash positive $35 and I walked out of there with three new things I could use who that had a, a much higher potential of being finished than the, the, the stuff I sold. So it was a good day. Yep. 
Yep. Real good day. I, I really, really enjoyed that show. I thought it was, I thought it was spectacular. It Great is. Day. And I, I, that's, that's, uh, uh, brings up talking about our shout outs of the month. Uh, uh, the shout out I want to give is to the Roscoe Turner chapter because it's easy to take for granted the contest and the people who put it on, but these things wouldn't happen without a whole club getting together and devoting a lot of their time and resources to putting on a contest. And, you know, it's a thankless job to sit at the registration table all day or the, uh, you know, the general admission table or to, to wrangle vendors who many times are not, you know, um, they're a little discombobulated sometimes. So you got to kind of help them out when they show up with all their stuff looking for their tables. Um, but, and then of course there's the thankless job of judging. Uh, everyone wants to go to a contest. Everyone would like to get an award, but nobody wants to judge the models. Um, so my shout out this month is to, our friends up at the Roscoe Turner IPMS Indianapolis chapter who put on year in, year out, a heck of a great contest. It was a pleasure to, to be there, had a great time, and I'll be back again next year for sure. You stole my shout out. Uh, well, good. <laughs> well, then that's, that's as it should be. We both went, we both had a great time and we both owe those guys a big thank you. Yeah, it was, it was a, a great day. You know, you came up in the, in the, the MMCL club caravan yep. from Louisville. Uh, I came up with my son the night before through Cincinnati. It was nice. We, we got to sleep in a little bit and then get up and drive 25 minutes to the last 25 minutes into the show. And even Jack had a good time. You know, he, my, my son doesn't model, but you know, he had a good, he likes looking at them when they're done. And we just had a really good time. I enjoyed seeing all the club guys and I enjoyed seeing all the finished models. And to be honest, I was really impressed with the folks there selling. I mean, there was a lot of stuff and I came away with really three things that, uh, I at least looked at before or, or knew were on my hit list to buy and, one item to actually finish something I'm working on now. Great day. It was yeah. a fun, it's a, a fine show. Indy Roscoe Turner, you do a great job. Keep it Amen. up. Amen. All right, man. I think we're done. I think we're done too. All right, Dave. So many kits. So little time. All right. See you next time. Later on. <laughs>